today. Um, I need to double check, I've got this wrong. It comes from Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 13. So please open your Bibles, a little chunk of text. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we can follow along on the screen. So that's Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has travelled on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything, because he He is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's God's word. I'll invite Pastor Clint to preach um, God's word to us today. Thank you, Ben. What a great service, isn't it? Great to celebrate the gospel in baptism. We started a new sermon series a few weeks ago, and we started by talking about baptism. Uh, Our new sermon series is about the gifts that God has given us to help us follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we started with baptism a few weeks ago, and then we moved on to the usefulness and value of the Bible in our Christian discipleship. I hope you're starting to see a progression through these themes as today we talk about prayer. Baptism is about actually becoming a Christian before anything else. So we should be asking ourselves when we see a baptism service, am I really saved? If you've been baptized, does your baptism reflect what is now a real inward faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If you've never been baptized, the question is, where do you stand with Jesus? Is he your rescuer and king? And if you can firmly and confidently answer yes to that, well, let's chat about having you baptized as uh, you saw Ben was today. But once Jesus has brought you into that forgiven relationship with himself, then the basics of that relationship, like any relationship, are built on two-way communication. And so in the Bible, the Lord speaks to us, and in the privilege of prayer, we get to speak to the Lord. So why don't we do that now as we come to his word? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you so much that we can talk to you the God of the universe. Lord, hear our prayer now for understanding of your word, that we may truly hear your voice speaking to us, drawing us to the Lord Jesus, and growing in us a faith in him that will sustain us until we see him face to face. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you know there are some people you just don't get to talk to. Uh, Right, my clicker's not working. There we go. Thank you, Zach. Some people you just don't get to talk to. The Prime Minister, for example, I can't just ring up the lodge one day and ask to speak to Mr. Albanese. Or the King, I can't just dial Buckingham Palace and say, hello, uh, I wonder if Charles is at home. Sometimes you don't even get to talk to the people you think you should be able to talk to. I remember trying to call Centrelink once. You'd think it'd be fairly straightforward, dial the number, tell the operator your problem and get some help. Well, after I'd Uh, discovered the number hidden deep in a website, 
I dialed the number. Did you think I talked to a person? No, 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 no. So after three hours of telephonic snakes and ladders and the mental torture of listening to the same on-hold music for that whole time, along with those wonderful messages that say, yes, your call is very important to us and we look forward to answering it, eventually puzzled out what to do. You see, if I gave the robot certain answers that weren't necessarily related to my questions, I could eventually, I guess, brute force this, the algorithm to pass me through to an operator, So, which I eventually did, and they answered my question in less than two minutes. And victorious in my mind, I was the Greek hero Theseus who conquered King Minos's maze and slayed the Minotaur of the Centrelink helpline. I clearly need more excitement in my life. There are some people you just can't talk to. There are some people you think you should be able to talk to, but you can't. You find it's almost impossible. How surprising then when Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray... Ask him, how can I talk to the great God and creator of the universe? He just says to them in verse 2 of today's reading, when you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. So we're going to look at this morning's reading under three headings. The first one is, who do we pray to? Isn't it just incredible that Jesus tells his disciples that they can call the almighty God Father, and approach him with the confidence of being loved and regarded as a son, and, a son or daughter of his family. But how can we call God Father? God's, God's not my dad. My dad is a, a human male who's living in Cape Town, South Africa today. If I want to talk to my dad, I FaceTime him. So how can I call God Father? Well, just like what we've read in the Bible this morning, only... Jesus can give us the right to call God our Father. Our sin, that deep human desire to be gods unto ourselves and to set up our own kingdoms in opposition to God's kingdom, to the kingdom of the God who made us, which is something we all do, well, this makes us God's enemies. It damages that relationship we have with God. But Jesus, God's only and dearly loved son, well, he willingly came to earth. He humbled himself to become like one of us. He died on a Roman cross to absorb completely the penalty that our sins deserved. And then he rose again from the dead so that everyone who trusts in what Jesus has done can be set free from sin and can go from being God's enemy to being God's child. Not a slave, not a servant, not a friend, the Bible does use those terms to describe Christians, but a son or a daughter of God, a member of the family. That's what Jesus does. And so only Jesus can give us the right to approach God with the confidence of being loved and regarded as a son or a daughter. So those two, when you pray, say, Father, that's who we pray to. Number two, what do we pray about? The words that Jesus gives his disciples in verse 2 and 4 are what we traditionally call the Lord's Prayer. Or at least it's part of the Lord's Prayer. It's also recorded in Matthew chapter 6. And together with Luke chapter 11, we have a version that some of us might have learned as children once upon a time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Luke records Jesus' words like this in verse 2. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now just notice, Jesus isn't giving us some special spiritual words to elevate our prayers beyond the normal desperation and duty of the Christian prayer life. The Lord's Prayer is not some magic spell that we can say to stir God up and to respond in a way that he wouldn't otherwise. The Lord's Prayer is not kind of some inside track with God. If we pray this prayer, then God is predisposed to answer us in a special way. I think if it was, we would find it referenced in the rest of the New Testament, uh, which, you know, we, we, we actually don't. It also assumes certain things, like thankfulness, without mentioning thankfulness. 
But the New Testament does show a richness to the prayers of Christians, which I think are a product of what Jesus taught his disciples here and in Matthew chapter 6. Because what Jesus is telling us as disciples is simply this. Because you can address God as your Father in heaven, here are the things you should and can talk to him about. In other words, these are the basic categories for Christian prayer. And there are two major headings. First one is God's glory and priorities, and the second is our physical and spiritual needs. And we'll look at those each in turn. So first of all, we should pray for God's glory and his priorities. It's very easy to start our prayers thinking only of ourselves. In fact, the the fact that we're praying does say something about how we recognize who God is and how much we need him and how he can only, he's the only one who can do these things that we need. But here Jesus shows us something very conscious and deliberate about the way we relate to God. So verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is perhaps an unfamiliar word. I tried to type it into my phone, and my phone helpfully suggested I was trying to go for Halloween, which is actually not far off the mark. Halloween is actually the evening before All Hallows Day in old Christian calendars. I think the Roman Catholic Church still uses that day to celebrate those that they've set apart as saints or the ones who set apart as holy. Now, of course, the New Testament says we're all saints because of what Jesus has done. We've all been set apart as holy for God. The idea of having these dead people that we pray to is nonsense. But that's the bit that matters. Being hallowed means recognizing that someone is set apart as holy. And that's never been more true than it is for God himself. Yes, he is our Heavenly Father who is near to us when we pray, but he's also the one who is completely other from us. He's set apart from us. He is holy. He's pure. He's different. He's in a category entirely of his own, and so therefore he deserves all glory and praise. You know, personally, I find this the hardest part of prayer, simply praising God for who he is, not just for what he's done for me. It's interesting, isn't it? We often think of the things that we want to thank God or praise Him for, the things that He's done for me. But you know, if I didn't exist, God would still be the praiseworthy, holy God because of who He is. What I'm finding, though, is that reading the Psalms at night before I go to sleep, that's, that helps me to lean into this category of prayer because the Psalm writers very often wrote and prayed like that, simply recognizing God for who He is. That said, Jesus doesn't expect us to pray prayers of praise, disconnected from life, disconnected from everything else, as though God is sealed off from the world and the universe, so other that he has no reference to it. The next part flows from the first. If God is worthy of all worship and praise, well, he has a right to that status, that authority, that place of power. And so Jesus says to pray, your kingdom come. Notice not my kingdom come, not my preferred political or ideological kingdom come, your kingdom come. At its heart, this is a gospel prayer. It's praying that the gospel would spread, that people would turn to Jesus in faith, and actually that Jesus would return soon to take his rightful place as God's anointed ruler of heaven and earth. Your kingdom come. Now, Jesus' lesson on prayer here already might encourage you to keep doing what you're doing or maybe to make some course corrections or maybe even to dismantle your prayer life and start again. A great way to do that is to start with your Bible. It's easy for our prayers to become untethered from what God says to us. Remember, we spoke about the conversation earlier. It's a response to what God says to us. It's not a monologue that we give to God. God's Word tells us what God's priorities are. They tell us what Uh, what things matter to God. And so responding to his word, we can pray for things that are on God's heart and which he will certainly answer. His glory and his kingdom, first of all. The point is, says Jesus, that our prayers should start with God, our heavenly Father, and with the things that are ultimately most important. As someone once said, in God's glory, we will find our greatest good. Well, that's the first thing. God's 
glory and God's priorities. Secondly, our physical and spiritual needs, because thankfully we don't simply have to stop at praying for God. In fact, Jesus encourages us not to stop there. If God is our heavenly Father, then we matter to him as, our, as his children. In fact, the basic meaning of the word pray is to ask. So the disciples are kind of asking Jesus, teach us to ask. Now, if we've been listening to Jesus carefully so far, we should be thinking twice by now about just bringing our Christmas list to Jesus as though, or to God as though he's some kind of uh, divine vending machine. Beginning with God's glory and his kingdom should mean we start to think about what are simply my own selfish, unreflective wants and what are actually the things that I need from God. In this way, the approach to prayer that Jesus teaches here keeps us honest, keeps us honest about who God is, about who we are before him, and about what we need from God, if our priorities are his glory and the coming of his kingdom, which are going to happen anyway. But Jesus does invite us to ask God to meet our needs, both the physical and the spiritual needs. Let's talk about the physical needs first. In verse 3, Jesus says, Give us each day our daily bread. Now, it's more than just bread. If you're gluten intolerant, don't panic just yet. This is asking for what we need, all the things that we need, not necessarily for what we want. But it's also asking that we would learn to trust in God's provision for us. It's a concern that we would take each day one at a time, trusting that he will provide what we need for today. It's, it's not running ahead of his provision. Well, then in verse 4, Jesus moves to the spiritual needs. He says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. There's a thought we should pray for forgiveness every time we pray certainly does keep us honest. And this is about the relationship we enjoy with God and Jesus. As we ask for his forgiveness for sin and his grace to keep us from sin. But just a note about that middle bit. God doesn't forgive us just because we forgive others. We don't earn his forgiveness by forgiving others. As we said earlier, these are categories. So when Jesus says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, that's meant to shape our prayers. Only once you know what it means to truly be forgiven of your sin through Jesus can you truly forgive. That's the direction that real forgiveness flows, and so it's asking God to help us shape our relationships with others around the gospel. And it's a reminder to not take that grace for granted. So in summary, Jesus tells his disciples to relate to God as Father and to pray gospel prayers. Concern for God to be glorified in gospel fulfillment and spread, for Jesus to come back, and for the gospel to shape our own lives and our relationships. Of course, there are many other good things that we could pray for. But Jesus says this is what is necessary to pray. Well, we've looked at the who and the what. Let's now talk about the how this is our third point. This is the, the two stories that Jesus tells in verse 5 to 13. So after Jesus' model prayer for disciples, he continues his teaching on prayer about how we pray, our attitudes and expectations. And he does this through two stories. If you've got a Bible there, look with me at verse 5. He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's perhaps a, a bit of a strange story for us in the 21st century, but it's worth knowing something about customs in the ancient Near East 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' time, it was very, very important to properly entertain a guest whenever he turned up, even unannounced in the middle of the night. This is what happens to the man in the story. So he does what he must. He goes to a friend, he hammers on the door, 
and he asks for help. Of course, it is the middle of the night, and so his friend is going to be less than impressed. His kids are asleep. Some of you know what it's like when you finally get the kids to sleep, and then a noise or something else happens to wake them up. Can you imagine if a friend turned up just then and hammered on the door and rang the bell and shouted through the keyhole, hey, mate, you got any bread? He might start reconsidering that friendship. But Jesus' point is that it's not just the friendship that makes the man give his friend what he wants. It's, it's a response to his impudence. That's a word, again, that we don't use much anymore, and I had to look it up myself. Another way to say it is shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. And Jesus is telling us something about the attitude we should have as we approach God in prayer. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that we should approach God arrogantly or disrespectfully. God isn't like the sleeping friend. He is better than the sleeping friend. But we can approach God in prayer with an attitude of shameless persistence. There's no shame because Jesus has brought us into relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. He's not a sleeping friend. He's not our neighbor. He is our Father. And we can be persistent with Him. This helps when our prayers might go unanswered, maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for years. If we know who God is and we know He is our Father because of Jesus, we'll keep depending on Him to answer our prayers. So instead of going, well, I've, I've tried everything else, but the best I can do now is just pray, we will start with, well, let's pray shamelessly and persistently, remembering who our Heavenly Father is and what He can do, and continue until we get an answer. The delay between asking and answering might be just what we need to learn dependence, to learn to reorder our prayers around gospel priorities. Over that time, we might learn more about who God is and what He wants and start to fine-tune our prayers. Not to twist God's arm, but to change the way we're thinking about what we need. God's answering in response to our prayers of shameless persistence is not because he's reluctant, it's because he's patient. Jesus teaches then that this right attitude goes together with right expectations when we pray. So look at verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Do you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, it's, it's easy to read... Jesus' call to ask and seek and knock as kind of nervous one-off events. But the way Jesus uses his language here, together what he's just said, mean that asking and seeking and knocking are also about persistence. We're not to treat prayer like that children's game, which I won't get people to confess that they play, but where you run up to a door, you knock on the door, and you run away. It's not that at all. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And the promise that is that if you do, God will answer your prayers. But let's also be careful not to think that the success of my prayer depends on me, the prayer. Jesus says God will delight to answer these prayers because of who he is, because of his, his character as a loving father. Now, I'd have to be very messed up to give my son a brown snake when he asks for some morning tea, or to give him a scorpion when he asks for some brekkie. The problem is I am messed up, and Jesus says I need to pray for forgiveness whenever I pray for that reason, because I'm evil, says Jesus in verse 13. If I'm being honest, I'm not going to argue with him. But still, by God's grace, I know not to do that sort of thing for my kids. God, on the other hand, is so much better than me. He's a perfect father, so how much more will he be eager and willing to give good gifts to his children? Now, in verse 13, Jesus says, there's more to be received than just good gifts. He says, verse 13, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Where did the Holy Spirit suddenly come from? Well, remember how Jesus has told His disciples to pray? Our prayers should come from a relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, through Jesus, should reflect a concern for His glory, for the spread and establishment of his kingdom, 
our humble dependence on Him for everything we need, not just everything we want, and the gospel to shape our relationships with others and our continual repentance from sin. For us to really pray like this requires a relationship with God, but it also requires a major shift in us. And that shift, that transformation happens through the work of the Holy Spirit within us as God applies his word to our hearts. Now, one thing I haven't mentioned is the fairly obvious thing right at the beginning, because the disciples didn't ask, should we pray? And when Jesus responds, he doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray, there's an assumption that Christians should talk to God in prayer. Jesus shows us here that God wants to hear us talking to him. But prayer isn't always easy. There are so many things that can make prayer difficult. I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. There are things that are physical or spiritual which make prayer hard. We can talk about some of those particular difficulties in the Q&A later. I hope you'll join us for that. But whether it's the devil or distraction or self-doubt about your ability to pray or disobedience maybe or spiritual dryness or even drowsiness, the answer is deceptively simple. You can use your Bible. Yes, you can ask your Christian friends for help and maybe to pray with them. But the most effective answer to the difficult prayer life is very, very simple. It's to pray. It's to pray. Christians from a long time ago actually encouraged one another to pray until you pray. So tell your heavenly Father what's making it hard to pray. Be honest with him. Remember who he is. Ask him for his kingdom to come in your life as well. Ask him to give him what you need to pray. Perhaps ask him to forgive your negligence or your disobedience if you need to. Ask him honestly, persistently, and expectantly, remembering that our heavenly Father is eager to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Well, as a closing prayer this morning, I thought it'd be great if we actually prayed the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, The words are going to be up on the screen. I'll ask Zach to flick over to that next slide. If you're not comfortable praying out loud, that's okay. You could pray along quietly on your own, or you could just sit and listen if you'd like. That's also okay. What I'd like us to do, though, is not to rush through the prayer, but to pause after each part and just consider for a moment what it means. And right at the end, let's say a confident amen together. Amen's a Bible word. It means actually we agree, or I agree. And it's something we should probably be uh, maybe a bit more enthusiastic about when we do pray in church. Should we practice that first? Let's go, amen, amen. Great, so we can do it. That's great. Well, let's pray the words of the Lord's Prayer together, which will be up on the screen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Great. Amen indeed. Well, we're going to close our service this morning by standing together to sing a song in response to God's word. All right. Morning, everyone. Um, it's looking about 10, quarter past uh, 10 at the moment, so we'll get started with our Q&A. So if you're interested in joining the Q&A, please come and sit down um, towards the front-ish so we can see your faces and hear your questions. Um, And if you have a question, please put your hand up and I'll come with you with the mic and um, you can speak into the mic because we're recording the session, so it'll be helpful for anyone listening to it afterwards to hear your question from you. Um, We also are using this um, website app thing, Slido, um, and so if you scan that QR code with your phone, it should open up a page in your browser where you can submit questions and you can do so anonymously if you would like as well. Um, so 
what I might do is I'm just going to pray for us first and then we're going to get into our Q&A time. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and um, pray to you as our Father and we as your children. Um, thank you, Lord, that um, you've given us prayer in which we can uh, communicate with you, um, in which we can be encouraged in our faith, Lord, um, and that you teach us dependence on you. I pray for this time of Q&A that we can um, come with um, open minds to uh, be shaped by your truth and your word, um, that we can come with inquisitive minds to learn um, what prayer is really about. And uh, we pray that your spirit would be, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Um, so our topic is prayer, so we will try and stick to topic. Uh, does anyone want to kick us off uh, with any questions about prayer? Um, so the the mic is so we're recording, um, so people can hear what they what you're asking. <laughs> I think the mess the when you were speaking this morning, one of the thoughts that came to mind was the initial phrase, "Our Father." Just elaborate a bit on that, what that meant for a Jew to hear those words. Thanks, and, and welcome. I think you're visiting today, aren't you, with, with Luke? And that's great. Well, good to have you along. Um, I, I, from what we do pick up in the Old Testament, there's definitely a sense in which the Jews knew God as their father. Um, but I don't think it was so much in a personal sense, like a, a deeply personal sense. So what Jesus is saying is it's something that's familiar, but there's also a newness in the, I guess, the familiarity with God. So the wording that he's using there is, is the word Abba. It's the word we might you, you know, say daddy, actually which to some might have been quite shocking. You can't say that about God. And now Jesus is saying, no, because of me, you can. So there's a, there's a deepness. And also, the, it's not just my Father, it's our Father. So there's a new community being built here around Jesus, which relates to God in, in actually a more personal way than perhaps they ever have. Does that kind of help to answer the question? That's right, yeah, Romans 8, chapter 15, the spirit within us cries cries out Abba Father because it recognizes God. So Christians have God's spirit in which connects with God's spirit in this amazing way to help us relate to God in a very intimate and deep way. Yeah, quite right. Thank you. Great, thanks for that question. All right, anyone, anyone else have a question? Uh, good. Mark. Just to get us going, I think. Um, I'm curious, do I, when was the first account of prayer in the Old Testament? Was it after the flood? Who, what's our first recorded prayer that we can identify, I guess is my question. Oh, we'd like a thorough history on prayer in the Bible. <laughs> um, thanks for that question, Mark. Uh, while, while these two try and look it up to not get that answer wrong, does anyone have any uh, suggestions of what could be the first recorded prayer in the Bible? Mm. Yep. Um, so for the, the recording, that's... Um, Rob Jansen is saying that very early on in the Bible it's recorded that people called on the name of the Lord. Um, that certainly would be considered prayer. Yeah, what Rob said is quite right. Somewhere in, in Genesis chapter 4, which I cannot see right now, I'm hunting madly for it. It is here somewhere. And like Rob said, it says, at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. And it's, it's kind of a reference to the promise that God made during the curse in Genesis 3, where he promises that one of Eve's descendants will come to crush the serpent. And there seems to be a connection there where suddenly there's people being born and, you know, humanity's continuing, but people turn around and go, wait, one of these kids needs to be the serpent crusher. And so they look to God for that fulfillment. It's not a, it's, it's a reference to prayer. It's not an actual prayer. Um, I don't know if Tim's come up with an actual prayer yet.
No, I think the actual prayer is actually hard, but I was also wondering if you're defining prayer as we are defining prayer as um, communion with God, I guess another question is, well, it's not recorded, but we know that Adam and Eve and the Lord, you know, walked together in the garden as well, so there they were communicating with God as well. But if you're acting, so it's, I don't think we can see prayer as a result of the fall as well, like God has been graciously giving us a path to, um, to communicate through and through the Spirit and also um, that. But yeah, the actual, actual prayer, that's hard. <laughs> We've got to keep looking. Do you have a, your own answer to that question, Mark? I do apologise for probably what, what was a, <laughs> a somewhat cheeky question. No, I was thinking, in my recollection, uh, at least for the time of Adam, I suspect people had more or less direct connection to God. And the first I can think of is after the flood when Noah came out and he made a shrine from memory and dedicated it to the Lord. And I was just occurred to me that might be the very first time we saw people addressing God without being before him as Adam and Eve were. But just a comment. Thanks, Mark. Um, on, a little bit on the dynamics of, um, of prayer. Um, one of uh, our anonymous question askers asked us, what does it mean in Luke eleven thirteen that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We are given the Holy Spirit when we are saved, but the disciples didn't then? I could be corrected um, on this. I guess there's two faults. Hang on. I'll go to this screen because I can see. Right. So, okay, what does it mean that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Okay, we'll start with that one. I guess um, we see that the Father does give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I guess, um, you know, as we uh, repent, we believe we will go to the God and he will um, and ask him for the spirit and he will give that to us. He will not withhold it. Um, uh, that would, and we are given the Holy Spirit when we are saved, but the disciples didn't then. On that, at that period of time, and this is where Clint may be able to correct me, uh, because Jesus was in the earth at that point of time, the comforter didn't come down until after Jesus' ascension. So it said that when Je Jesus promised the comforter a spirit and that to come down when he died and so they would not be left alone. So we see then in Acts that, you know, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, came and landed on the disciples at that stage. So therefore it's not... So I would say, and please be correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say at that point of time, the Holy Spirit was not on the disciples as we have at this day and age until Jesus left and then after Jesus ascended into heaven he sent the comforter as God himself in our spirit to be among our mutes and teach us would you like to add to that yeah sure I'll answer it I won't correct you I think you're right but I, I won't I'll add to it I think this is a great example of why when we read the Bible we've always got to be careful to think what did it say to the original hearers or readers first um, and so like Tim was saying in the time that Jesus was on earth the Holy Spirit was still a future reality so to the disciples, they needed to know that God would surely give the Holy Spirit as a good gift when they asked for it at the time appointed. So that's all the promises Jesus makes in the upper room about the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 2, of course, we've got everyone praying upstairs. We don't know what they were praying about, but it wouldn't be too far to stretch maybe, you know, that they're going over the things that Jesus promised not that long ago in the upper room in Jerusalem. And at that point, perhaps it it is Jesus giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Again, the yes, Christians have the Holy Spirit when they're saved. And well, that comes in response also to asking God so that the promise still stands. Um, 
I think the thing for us to remember is that we, I'm going to be careful about saying we need more of the Holy Spirit, but certainly we need the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. And if we ask for God to do that, He certainly will do that. So that's kind of where I'd go with it. Is that helpful to whoever asked that one? Hopefully, yeah. Okay, thanks. I'll, um, I'll go to the floor again. Does anyone have any questions from the floor? Thanks, Ken. Thanks. Uh, just regarding verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Is that a condition that um, if we aren't prepared to forgive others, that uh, our forgiveness is in jeopardy? Thanks, Ken. It's a good question. I mean, that, that certainly seems to be the way Jesus words it. I think we must be careful of thinking that our forgiveness is in jeopardy because of something I do, because it all rests on Jesus. But at least from my perspective, can I presume upon God's forgiveness? Can I, can I say those words with integrity if I know that I haven't forgiven someone? So God, forgive me. I'm not going to forgive that person, but forgive me. You know, it's like the parable of the unmerciful servant that Jesus gives. So I think that's a situation not where we, uh, you know, God still holds out forgiveness, but he does ask us to take it in the right spirit. So, you know, that might be an occasion like where Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother first and then come and offer your gift. It's that sort of thing um, what I think Jesus is talking about. So it's about the integrity of our prayer life maybe more than whether our salvation hangs in jeopardy. Could, would that be fair, do you think, to say? Or? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so just for the value of the recording, so Ken's referencing Matthew 18.35 about the unmerciful debtor, about God will treat you the way he, the king treats the unmerciful servant if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. I think that's, that's true. It's, but if, so it's if someone doesn't forgive that way, it's proof that the gospel hasn't actually penetrated their heart because they don't know what real forgiveness is. Uh, going back to the forgiveness he'd received from the king, it didn't mean anything to him. So, yeah, that's where I'd go with that. Yeah, thanks for that question. It's a good one. Um, and I'm just going to say, I think that covers a, a similar theme to that question up top. If we ask for the Holy Spirit but choose to actively resist his leading sanctification, such as brotherly love, are we saved? Um, and so along the same lines is that, um, you know, if, you've, if your heart hasn't been transformed by the gospel um, and the forgiveness you've received, you can't, uh, I guess, reciprocate to others or pass it on, then maybe you haven't actually quite received the Holy Spirit or um, salvation. Okay, um, any other questions right now? Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Ben. Um, it probably goes on a little bit with what um, Ken was just saying then. Um, in Matthew 6, it's got the Lord's Prayer there as well. And it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then straight after it, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Which sort of, um, but then continues to say, but if you do not forgive others your, their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. So does that... That to me, that seems to be quite clear that it's talking about accepting, not accepting, but understanding God's truth, which is what you guys were talking about. But would that not then indicate, not just an understanding, but uh, at a heart level, um, having the Holy Spirit work in you at a level where if you are saved, you will forgive, and if you are not saved... Well, the evidence of your behaviour will show that you haven't really taken it on like the, the uh, merciless servant who was forgiven a lot and then it was recalled, so to speak. It, probably a bit of a hard way to ask a question, but it just didn't seem to 
yeah, is it? Are you then a saved person or are you not? Are you a child of God? Because it is by God's love, by the love you show to your brothers that you will be known. Um, this is, that is the, the fruit of knowing if you're a child of God. Is that true or not? Okay. Um, so, Rob, just in trying to boil down, I guess, where, um, where that was... Um, I, I think we'll go with the last bit that you said. So if you're not showing essentially the fruit of the Spirit um, in able to forgive people, it being one of those marks, then are you saved truly if you don't, aren't able to do those things, forgiveness being one of the key ones? Mm, yep, yep. So similar to the Matthew as, as in the Luke passage today. So it's not just, you know, a matter of being able to say what the gospel is, but a matter of um, receiving it where you're changed, your heart's changed, you're saved, you're a child of God. Um, so you therefore should be demonstrating these fruits such as forgiveness. Yeah, that you will do it, yeah. I was almost wondering if it's a question because I'm thinking, I sort of agree with how you broke that down and spoke about it, so... Like, you know, as you said, like, like the merciful servant, like Clint said before, that as a result of um, being saved, which God has warned us with, the Spirit has changed our hearts to be like him. And as a result, I guess that's why in prayer, you know, A, we're always told to be thankful and that. We're also told to confess and that. So therefore, when we do pray to our Lord and Father, we... Um, are quite aware of a how much he's done for us and b um, how much we have not <laughs> done for him or how much we have sinned against him or how we've rebelled. So when we have that perspective, especially um, in our day-to-day -day lives with our interactions with our Christian brothers and sisters and that, that therefore we'll be aware of what God has done for us and therefore, like the merciful servant, we would not be, you know, as a Christian, we would not be put in, you know, we would not be in that situation where it's like, you know, going, thank you, God, for all that you've done for me compared, you know, I've sinned against you, I've, I've put you on the cross, then how can I not forgive my brother for something? So I dare say, yes, I agree with your comment that as Christians and being aware of the, um, yeah, it'd be very hard to say that, as a fruit that if are we Christians if we do not forgive our brothers I guess the, I won't say caveat though it's a, like I guess sometimes the question is are they aware of their sin too maybe that might be that you know once you do then it's like you know then forgiveness you know what I mean that's the way too so it's I don't know if that helps us because I know that you had a, that question statement I think and, yeah I agree with everything you said and you almost clarified it Nicely, yes, well, so I don't know if I'm adding to it or subtracting to it. Did you want to? I don't care. Yeah, I don't think there's any, uh, I think from the previous answer and, and this answer and also how the question's been clarified, I think the answer is very fairly clear that, yes, yeah, um, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, the fruit um, of the Spirit will be expressed in you being able to and doing forgiveness um, to those that have wronged you. Um, forgiveness in your heart for that so that needs necessarily needs to happen one thing I was just thinking about is just the timing of it like I don't necessarily forgive people straight away as well and so I don't think the the fact of me not being able to forgive someone straight away yes mate, that might be a area of uh, resistance in my life of like sin but I don't think it means I'm not saved <laughs> but I need to you know be able to forgive and get to that point um, and that's what I trust that God um, the spirit will work in with um, in me being saved. Um, so we're going to go back to a couple of questions on prayer. Um, so a couple of, I guess, practical ones. Uh, how often should I pray about something in particular? I'd say until you get an answer. <laughs> uh, look, it's an important one. Um, you know, how often should we pray? The Bible does talk about, you know, pray without ceasing, praying constantly. Um, I think we should pray probably more persistently and more often than we often do about things. 
um, that you know reference that I made in the sermon earlier. Sometimes it is like the kid running up to the door, knocking on the door, and running away. Um, which, incidentally, is an idea from Don Carson's book that I'll share in a moment. But I think we should be praying often about something because God is working in us even as we pray before he gives the answer. So there's, there's value to be had about praying persistently and often. Until we get an answer, it might, you know, there might be a, a point where the answer is very obviously no. There might be a point where the prayer is answered far above anything we could ask or imagine. Um, there might be just times where we just don't know. Uh, and until we you know, become convinced or convicted otherwise, well, keep praying. Keep praying about it. Yeah. I guess for a personal... Um point of view from that too it's like I don't know I'm sure many of you have family members or friends that do not do not know Jesus like I've been praying for my mate for 25 years and persistently doing that too the answer unfortunately is not yes at the moment but by having prayer in that aspect God is using that to keep thoughts like that um, in the front of my mind so therefore opportunities that so he's using prayer to direct um, a character to be um, in line with his work um, there's other things, that, you know, and I guess sometimes I've, it could be human nature as well. Like when we pray, you know, for a week or two and nothing happens, you're still like, going, oh, no, does God care or does he matter? But we've just got to remember the promises that Clint closed with on um, the blessing that he can do us more than we, he can do more than we can think and imagine. Like we sometimes put God in a small box. And I know for my own self also as a, like I do pray for Peter's diabetes to be healed, like, and we know that God can do it, but sometimes I struggle with that as a prayer point because it's like, well, medically it's not a thing, but we've got to remember God is the God of the universe. So do I trust that I can keep praying for that for God, that he can answer it? Yes, I can, so I will pray instead of just going, oh, it's impossible because it's mankind. So we just got to remember our God keep praying and that will reflect and also grow us in our faith of him as well, I think, as well. Great. Thanks, Tim. We might take one or two questions from the floor um, and then we'll finish off with that last one on the screen. So might, is there anyone else who hasn't asked a question yet that might want to ask one? Okay, thanks, Graham. Uh, regarding the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul kind of sums it up in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Thanks, thanks Graham, uh, um, for the additional comment there. Yeah. So I'll just see if anyone else, but otherwise we'll, we'll go to Mark, <laughs> last resort. <laughs> yeah, any, any other questions? Okay, we'll take this last one from the... Uh, from the audience. Thank you. Um, something I've thought about for years is the connection between prayer and fasting. Uh, have you got any comments on that? Because in the New Testament, and I'm thinking particularly of Mark chapter 9, where the disciples couldn't uh, heal the boy with the, with the demon, and Jesus says this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. How important is that today, do you think? Great, great question. Thanks, Mark. Well, just while Tim's flicking up his Bible, um, we, we get together and we try and you know, anticipate questions before we hit the Q&A, and I know Tim has got a fantastic answer for this one, so I'm going to flick right over to Tim. It's not a fantastic answer, but it's also something that got challenged to me the other day I've um, been reading a book called Spiritual Disciplines um, by Donald Whitley, I think it is. And he yeah, has been pointing out that fasting is, not, fasting is not one of those spiritual disciplines we sort of talk about too much. Um, so I'd like to preface it, first of all, as he did. First of all, fast, by fasting, that doesn't give you any spiritual brownie points to put God in his debt to answer your prayer. So if you miss, you know, a couple of meals, God's going to go, oh, geez, that's nice. Okay, I better do what you told me. <laughs> um, so I'd like to just put that as a warning, uh, sorry, just as a box around it. However, fasting, they say, Jesus, fasting is one of those things that says, Jesus says, when you fast. So again, like when you pray, 
when you dare. So it's one of those things that Jesus says, when you. Um, So fasting is one of those things, especially linked to prayer, that can be quite helpful. Uh, Like, for instance, if you miss a meal or two, every time you're hungry, instead of thinking about food, you'll be linked to prayer. You can go to prayer and ask to God whatever you're... um, whatever you're praying about. I've found that helpful in the past. Um, again, it's also taking away something from yourself so you can dedicate that time to God. So therefore, again, another one they've said that if you, instead of eating your meal, what you're doing at time would be dedica- dedicate that half an hour to prayer as well. So while it's not going to give you brownie points, it's focusing more time and dedication to God to the um, issue or, or the praise point or whatever it is that you're praying to God to fast about. So, it's, so it, it directs your focus, I guess, if that's one way to answer it. If someone likes to answer more, that's awesome. Does that help, Mike? Yeah, great. That's a great question. I was going to, um, just in the interest of time, I'm going to wrap up with that last question, another practical one. What should I do if I struggle to have regular prayer time? Um, plan one. It's usually a good, good idea if you struggle to have a regular one. Put it in your calendar, in your diary. Um, try and find the time that's going to be best for you to do that. Uh, find the time when you're most awake or you've got the time to do that. Um, so it becomes habit. It becomes something you, you do regularly, maybe. Um, there's a lot of things, though, that can impinge on that, like especially at different stages of life. I know when you've got young kids, that can be a huge struggle to have a regular prayer time. Um, so, you know, having maybe someone who you can say, you know, I'm struggling to have a regular prayer time and ask them to help you, um, maybe text you occasionally or to check in with you at church or maybe to pray for you when it's hard for you to pray on your own. Maybe those things are good to do. But it's one of those things where we've got to be proactive and go, right, I'm struggling to have a regular prayer time. What can I do about it? Maybe ask um, your Christian friends to help you do that. And certainly plan to have a regular prayer time. If you aim at nothing, they say you're you're bound to hit it. Um, It's a good question because it does affect, I think, probably most of us, but it's worth pursuing. Just as soon as we are wrapping up, and it's a question that is addressed in this fantastic book here called uh, Praying with Paul by Don Carson, um, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. This is a really helpful book. We've got a copy or two on the church library. encourage you to check it out. He starts this book with some really practical tips about how to approach your prayer life. Really good, accessible things you can do today, this week, to change, improve the way you pray. Then what he does is the rest of the chapters, he goes through Paul's prayers in the New Testament letters and tries to unpack those and show, shows us how we can enrich our prayer lives through what we can learn from the New Testament. So highly recommend that one, especially if you're looking for practical advice on how to deal with things like struggling to have a regular prayer time. Just one or two other small from personal as well as um, things. You can also, don't, don't think when we say regular prayer time, you don't have to pray for an hour straight. Like, you know what I mean? Some, like, sometimes pray where you're at, you know. Sometimes you've got, you got, you got Christian brothers and sisters that are just prayer warriors that can pump out an hour and a half, and it's great where some days you're struggling where you just get out of bed and go, please, God, help me. Um, there's both instances in the Bible, so that's one thing for my own life. Like, for instance, like I'll generally get out of bed before I get out of bed, wake up, pray, please God, strengthen for a day, just a short prayer, and then we'll go to the Bible. And then, as I'm reading just the Bible, pray as you're reading the Bible because the Spirit will speak to you through the Word. And then, and like a conversation, as they said, you know, then you it might reveal, and you pray to God, and it might reveal through scripture today um you drive to work you know you go okay i'm just before end of the car we can pray to god like how would or whatever circumstance yeah how can we um act to glorify your name in this you know get home i'm blessed at the moment that i have half an hour to myself before the kids pick up and therefore i can pray there and then i generally pray at night time so just pick moments like that's the period of time at the moment it works for me like other people as Clint said, if you've got mothers or, you know, kids running around or running around, you know, just pick your moments. It can be God will glorify 
even the 10 minutes in the car, if you turn off the radio and park the car in the driveway before you enter the house, like, dear God, I hear the kids screaming, please help me to be patient, love my wife and family. So there are plenty, you know, God, God's a God who loves to answer prayer. So don't, even if it's small, it doesn't matter. God's a big God. It's not our prayers. Awesome, guys. Those, those are really um, helpful and encouraging. Uh, we're just going to wrap up in prayer, guys. Uh, so pray, pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to pray. Um, often we struggle with it, um, and we just desire that um, you, you give us your spirit um, to, to help us to come to you in prayer wherever we have the opportunity and at a regular basis. Help us to be persistent in our prayers. Father, we ask that you teach us um, to trust in you as our Heavenly Father and that we can um, as you work um, by your grace through our prayers. And um, we thank you so much that we can come to you we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again, everyone, for your participation. Really great.